Good morning and welcome to our Monday morning chapel. Uh, just a quick note on the hymn we'll be singing today is written by um, the Princess Eugenie of Sweden, if you note, up on the top. And um, she was a, a Christian woman who, despite being in the, a family of royalty, uh, had a lot of challenges and difficulties in her life, a lot of it with health concerns. The hymn she writes fits our sort of theme for the week very well. Um, how uh, the believer in this life um, often has to still deal with the struggles and trials of this world. Before we get to singing the hymn, however, please join me in the morning prayer on page 167 in the front part of the hymn book. Uh, we'll use there the second prayer when we pray together in unison. O my crucified Lord Jesus Christ, as the patient Lamb of God, you suffered for me the most shameful death on the cross, and with your precious blood you redeemed me from all sins, from death, and from the power of the devil. I pray you to give me the assurance of this redemption through your word and sacraments, and to direct my heart by your Holy Spirit. Preserve me with your divine love, and hide me this day, both body and soul, in your holy wounds. Wash me from all my sins. Teach me to live a life of good works. And at the end, lead me from this world of sorrow to your eternal joy and glory. Hear me, my faithful Savior, my only comfort, hope, and life, my Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.
Our scripture reading for meditation today is taken from John chapter 16, beginning with verse 20. And Jesus is here speaking to his disciples. Most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice, and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. These are your words, Heavenly Father. They are your truth. We pray that you would increase our faith through them. Amen. Back in 2009, a middle-aged man came into a, an office at a garbage collecting agency and applied for a job and uh, was hired, was taken out and kind of shown the ropes and he spent the first week of his employment um, riding on the back of a garbage truck, learning how to jump off and throw the cans in and jump back on. And he learned how to empty porta-potties and um, went out on the side of the roads on highways and picked up trash and frequently came back at night smelling rather horribly from this awful work. And um, a camera crew followed along with him to kind of see what this was like to have this type of a job. Apparently he did it so badly one day he nearly got fired. But it turned out that um, he was actually the boss and CEO of the company. Waste Management, which today does business of $20 billion a year. It's the largest waste management company in North America. And at the time, he was the, he was the CEO of the corporation, and he was the first one to be chosen to do the show Undercover Boss. And so he had decided to, to do this to find out a little bit more about his company and what the work was really like for the people underneath him. And all the people who worked with him that week and did not know his real identity didn't realize what authority and wealth and power and everything he had over them. They were obviously very, very surprised when it was finally revealed exactly who this man was. It's kind of a little bit of a picture of the members of the Holy Christian Church. To the members of Christ's church in this world, we appear to have no real glory to us. In fact, quite often we're just the opposite. We're pretty lowly people and there's nothing of real specialness about us. And yet God, by his grace, through the work of the Holy Spirit, has marked us with the gift of faith and giving us that trust in Christ as our Savior. But along with everybody else in the world, we sweat and we struggle and we have to deal with all the problems of health and finances and challenges in our homes and everything else. And we uh, oftentimes, sometimes even because of our faith, things are even more difficult for us. And to just look at us from worldly eyes, we don't look any different than anybody else and um, sometimes maybe worse. And we don't look like we hold the power over the devil, over hell itself, that we contain in us the, the royalty of being, of being God's chosen people who are going to be going to heaven someday. 
And yet, that's all an indication in us that can only be seen really by God with this marking of faith that he's given us and the tremendous significance that has in our lives. But right now, there's no real glory to being a Christian. There's nothing really great or special about it. Jesus, talking to his disciples, says, I say to you, you will weep and lament. You're going to have to deal with all the troubles of life. But the world will rejoice, and you will be sorrowful. And this is how God often veils himself in the world and how he operates in the world. A lot of times he, he operates under a cover of suffering and difficulty and trouble. The prophet Isaiah said, Truly you are a God who hides yourself, O God of Israel, the Savior. And we think about the, the apparent paradox that God works under so often. Even with, with his son, he takes this, this lowly man, son of a very poor family, and yet he's the all-powerful son of God. Even Peter, who is with him regularly, seems to forget about the majesty of Christ, what the great catch of fish. It's almost like he was surprised to see such a tremendous miracle. But here this son of this poor couple does an apprenticeship as a carpenter, I think of when Christ was on the cross, if you were in the crowd of people and you really didn't know what was going on, if somebody pointed up and said, hey, look, there's God, how many people would have just laughed? How silly and ridiculous to think that that's God dying like a common criminal. And the same is true as far as the believers in the Holy Christian Church. They appear at times to have been almost abandoned by God and kind of left behind in this world. And he often allows them to deal with trouble and difficult and sadness and suffering. Sometimes, like I said, they're even more pitiful than appearing than, uh, than other people in the world. Think about the martyrs. Think about people who are about to have their heads cut off because of their faith in Christ over in Africa. Somebody watching that would look and just think, where is their God? Are you serious? This is where this, is where this faith leads you? That would be the, the impression and the view from the world. And we can kind of get caught up in that as well. Foolishly being mocked for living our lives for something that, that uh, we can't see, we've never been to, and yet that's where our heart is longing, like the hymn just said. Think about Job when he was sitting there on his deathbed. Think about Elijah hiding in a cave because of his lack of popularity among the people. Think about Joseph riding on the back of a slave wagon to Egypt. Think about the poor widow outside of the uh, temple in Jerusalem putting her last couple little coins in the alms box. Lazarus in Jesus' parable having dogs come up and lick his sores. We think of young David being chased by Saul all over the, all over the countryside in, in Israel, hiding in caves. This is the church of God in the world. This is his believers in the world. But the problem for us is that we can get caught up in the world's thinking. We can be tempted to kind of look at ourselves and to look at things through the eyes of the world and start to say, well, yeah, why should I live my life like this when it doesn't seem like it's really getting, anywhere, getting me anywhere? Why should I have my heart so longing into this, into this faith, and it, it doesn't seem to really help me in this world. 
But our text reminds us that God wears a disguise in this world. He hides his majesty and his power in a carpenter's belt and with a crown of thorns. And he places himself in the position of being a criminal and allowing himself to be executed. He appears weak and helpless so that only the eyes of faith can actually see God and his power and his majesty in such lowly things. St. Paul says, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. So God's way of working in the world is he demands that, that faith alone would be able to see him in all of these things. So when it comes to his presence in your life, he doesn't, he doesn't instruct you to go look at your bank account to see if he loves you. He doesn't instruct you to, to check into your health to make sure that you're healthy or the kind of position that you're going to hold someday in your future. These are not the ways that God would have you determine whether or not he is with you. Instead, he directs you to these lowly places. He would have you look at the cross. He would have you look at the waters of your baptism. He'd have you look at the sacrament of the altar and this old book that we preach from. And he would say to you, look, this is where I find you. This is where I'm with you. So faith's object is things that can't be touched, things that can't be seen in this world. The author of Hebrews says, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. But a day is coming when the church is no longer hidden. Just like that CEO was suddenly revealed that here all this time he had such a tremendous position. And the same will happen in a much grander way to the members of Christ's church. They will suddenly shine like the sun on the day of glory. And Jesus says about that day, I will see you again and your heart will rejoice. And that's what keeps us going. I will see you again and your heart will rejoice. So don't think God isn't interested in or invested in your happiness. He's interested and invested in a happiness that is far beyond anything you'll ever get to know in this life. And that's really what this faith is all about, clinging to that. It was really what his whole mission was about through the cross and continues today through the ministry of his word and sacraments. In a time of delivery, a mother may appear to be the most distressed and pain-stricken person on earth if you happen to be there in the delivery room. I've had that happen a couple times. But within moments, her little bundle of joy that is born brings a smile to her face and such tremendous delight. And you couldn't find a happier person in the world. The church of God in this world right now appears to be struggling and suffering under the pain and difficulties of life and sometimes has to even suffer because of our relationship to our Savior. And yet that same church waits and longs for the birth of the resurrection where she will know indescribable joy. Right now we appear to have nothing but sometimes difficulty. But there on that day we will have everything. And I love this line in Jesus' words to his disciples. And your joy no one will take from you. That's an awesome passage. Your joy no one will take from you. Blessed are you in this precious faith. Amen. Let's rise and join in our Lord's Prayer.
Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now may the triune God of your baptism, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, bless and preserve you. Go in his peace. Amen.